It's not like I'm going to be talking to Invisible Jake in the corner. Right, Jake? Right. That's right. Silent, <laughs> silent Jake. So I actually, um, the topic that I want to talk about today was actually going to be like, what I've learned looking back and how I think I would approach the next Project Evil Quacks does. Oh, let's do that. Yeah, 100%. Recently, I do actually mean recently, I think this past week, uh, I wrote up a blog post talking about how like we finished our first milestone. And I talked about stuff that like looking back on it, what I could have done differently <laughs> and what I think I did well. Uh, and also some business things like here's the time that everybody logged and here's like money I spent on tools and money I spent for like to keep the website up, right? And the version control and all that jazz. And I did like how much money would it take to produce Sam if like someone came to me and said I would like to replicate Sam or do what you did for Sam? Like how much did it cost my team to do it, right? Right. So then I did like a cost breakdown and stuff there with some estimates because obviously I don't know how many words you've written. So I can't calculate out how much I owe you mm -hmm. per contract. So I was like, ah, oh, the best estimate <laughs> right there. And the numbers were like, I guess, shocking to some people. But to me, I was like, no, I like this is it's expected. Like, I don't I don't know why you guys are all shocked about it. Because it was anywhere from like, I think the upper end of it was like $10,000 or something because of how many hours everyone spent. And if you wanted to pay them industry rates, which are expensive, <laughs> like 45 to 55, 45 to $50 an hour. But if you wanted to pay them $20 an hour, like it gets less expensive. But for like, but like an indie half game, almost. Yeah, but but like for an indie game, I was like I think that's reasonable. Like I know games aren't like games aren't cheap to make. I'm I wasn't sticker shocked by it. But I like I I calculated it all up and I was like this seems like it seems reasonable for like what games cost a lot of money. Like I'm not surprised by it. But I did I wrote up a whole blog post of that. And I think I shot you a message during that week where I was like, I want to talk to you. Like, I one, I sent the, I'm grateful that you don't hate me <laughs> because of how chaotic this has been. I sent you that. And then I clarified later that, like, I feel like I can't apologize for it because I knew going into this, this was going to be like a chaotic mess. Because Sam was a chaotic mess. So I was just like, <laughs> so I was like, I'm just very appreciative <laughs> that you aren't very much against the chaotic mess <laughs> and putting up with my shit. No, I mean, I it's still well within the boundaries of what I personally expected, to be honest. Yeah, but with that said, I took a bit to sit back and think about my pipeline and like my team's pipeline and what I could have done better to eliminate some confusion and help everyone's goal lined up in the end, you know, on track. So I think that's the most important thing is that there needs to be a clear vision for the game that everybody sees, understands, and work towards, right? You can't have people in different departments working towards their own personal goals. It has to be unified. Agreed. Yeah, and I think for for those listening, because I assume I am putting this in the podcast now, for those <laughs> listening uh, who don't know, some background on Project Sam, which is Evil Quack's current game, which you can find out more about on our website, www.evilquacks.com slash games. That started like sophomore, about sophomore, junior year of college. Not by me. I was not on the original team. 
It was started by three gentlemen who I'm still friends with. And I was brought on later. And it was as an EGS project, which is an entrepreneurial game studio, which is like a club at Drexel. Uh, that you have to like apply to get into. And they, they are very helpful with ever, with the resources they give you and the aid and all that jazz. It started out as that. And I started out as just a developer programmer on it because the three individuals realized that they needed someone who could code. And none of them could code well. And I had taken an internship, my co-op at Drexel is what Drexel calls it. I took it at an indie studio in Philly for programming. So I left that co-op with so much more knowledge <laughs> about how to code for games and the, st- the structure that games need. Uh, which, by the way, shout out to not my like boss boss in that company, but like my immediate developer boss, Alex Holmes, because he was great. I loved working with him. Um, But I learned a lot from that co-op. So then I came back and they asked me to work on Project Sam as just a developer. And I did for... uh. Like, till the end, till, like, senior project, and then we had to stop because senior project takes over your entire soul. And then afterwards, it fell off. And I think it's just because it had been, like, two or three, two years or three years at that point that they were working on it. And it just wasn't making the progress or headway that they wanted it to. And we had some members join and fall off, and... The issue that was with that original team was, I think, a lack of vision. Is that everybody wanted to have, wanted the game to be their own thing. Instead of, we all know the game will be this and we're all working towards this. Which resulted in a lot of back and forth about how certain systems should run, how the UI looks, what colors to use, what does Sam look like, what are his animations. Fast forward a few years, um, I ended up taking over... The team, uh, because we did push for uh, to continue to work on Sam after we all graduated. Uh, but since I was the one with the most stable of jobs and was kind of, I was really the only one that stayed on the team and everyone else, for completely legitimate reasons, had to take a step back and take care of their own lives. Which resulted in me <laughs> taking ownership of the studio uh, and like actually filing for it to be an LLC, you know, and taking it over and all that jazz. And then it was me left at the, like, captain's chair of this project. And I had to figure out whether or not I wanted to completely drop the project and say, all right, like, I don't find this worth continuing. Screw it, forget it. Or if I wanted to pick at it and revise it and turn it into something that I think could actually be released and something the team would be proud of. So I chose the second option. Which means that automatically going into this, it was going to be chaotic. Because you were coming into a hot mess of a code base of a GDD that wasn't upkept or written right. And so many different conflicting ideas and opinions from the past team members all kind of like smushed in there. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm nodding right along with you. <laughs> okay. I have I have a commentary to go with this, but I think I need to let you get this out first. <laughs> I came to the realization as I sat in my captain's chair and looked around that I'm the only one on this nice deck. <laughs> Which means I have the power. And I know that sounds a little bit power hungry. 
And a little bit of power It actually sounds megalomaniacal, but go ahead. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, okay? <laughs> but Which meant that any design decisions or anybody else that I brought onto this project, I could help direct and unify the view of. Which also meant that all of my comments previously in the game's development that I had would not be ignored anymore. <laughs> It does sound a little power hungry when I think about I, it. But I mean, you're you're actually phrasing it really badly, and that's why it sounds wrong. Yeah, all right. Because, but I'm you. I'm bad with words here. Well, no, <laughs> because you're seeing it from this perspective where you like made a power play and grabbed onto it. But the truth was, no one was in charge of it, and the project needed somebody to be in charge of it. Well, and yeah. You I realized mean, you... that you could sit in the chair and be in charge of it because the chair was empty. That's not. Yeah. You didn't like. I didn't go in there talk. with like sword drawn, banner flying, <laughs> hostile takeover, fuck no, these no, people no, no. type deal. You're you're painting it like in hyperbole, but I'm gonna stop you from doing that just this <laughs> once, even though I believe most good stories are deserving of hyperbole, because it's painting my friend in a light that makes her sound like a terrible person. I like to think that I'm not a terrible person. I don't believe that they... you are a terrible person, because if I did think that, I wouldn't have stepped in here. But true. Um, and that is true, because like I said, everybody else stepped away to handle life things, and it was really just me. And since I was the one with a stable job, it made sense to file the LLC under my name. And I actually even asked people from the, pr from the old team, because I thought that they, if they wanted a... Uh, small portion of the ownership they could but that means that their responsibilities and what I expect from them would go through the roof and also I would maintain majority ownership just because I had the most stable income in life at that now, point in time I do think I'm going to stop you again I do think for the purposes of our listeners speaking as somebody who's worked through two business deals with you at this point you've always been very fair like, you've yeah. never been unreasonable, and you're making yourself sound a little unreasonable. I, well, I, I, I'm trying to explain it as logically as my, as like I can, is that like, I, because I was the, I was at the most stable position in my life, it made sense. And I really did talk to everybody on the team, and like, not a dictatorish manner. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we did, we did work it out. Um, uh, and they did actually end up agreeing to just say that I get 100% ownership of it. And later on in, down the line, if Evil Crocs is successful and if I wanted to consider them for employees, that'd be great. Uh, like, and I'm still friend. I was gonna cover. I'm still friends with all these people. In fact, all three of them are in my D Day campaign that will happen later today. <laughs> but back on track. I was left with Sam, which was kind of in tatters from multiple different viewpoints and opinions all melding and mushing it in. So I made the decision to, one, we already had a fairly stable code base. Uh, we already had some assets. I mean, like a lot of work had gone into it. A lot of more work would have to be put into it to make it something that I think could actually do well on the App Store because it is for mobile devices primarily. But I think it was something, the idea of the game was still worth pursuing. So, I ended up bringing on, ex like, external people. People who had not seen the project previously. Who could bring on fresh ideas. And also, because they didn't have any 
previous, uh, I don't want to call it, opinions, ideas about how the project should be. It was easier for all of us to get together for me to sit down and say, here's what Project Sam is. Here's what I envision it to be and have all of us talk and work it out so that we had a unified vision moving forward. Which, for the most part, we did. Uh, but we could still work on it a little bit. Uh, but it was better than what it was previously. So I did that. I brought on you, Mazzy, as a contract writer. Uh, because our previous writer just didn't have a lot of experience. Uh, and also, he is working through some live stuff. And you have experience writing. Correct. And I know you. So, and you, you offered... you. <laughs> And you offered to originally help the first writer to write it. And then I believe, I don't know if you were the one who came to me or I came to you and I was like, do you want to just write it? I've, there was like, there was more conversation involved. It wasn't just like that. Like we made sure Kevin was not upset about it, which Kevin was the previous writer. Um, the same Kevin who edits the podcast. <laughs> no, there, there was a lot of conversation around it because. I felt a little guilty taking over, but at the same time, it was one of those things. And then I had to have a conversation with you where I was like, listen, I'm going to do some things that are contrary to the advice I've previously given you because the advice I gave you was not based on my writing abilities. Right. And that's a shitty thing to say about a friend, but it's still the truth of it, which is the previous advice I gave you was really sound, but mm, I can get around some of these problems because, quite frankly, I've just been doing it longer. Right. You have more experience under your belt. Significantly more. Um, oh, gosh, I'm like 15 years older than that guy. Like, So I would, I would freaking hope so. Uh, but then we brought you on to handle the story. Um, you came on. We, You and I have talked a lot about it. Uh, and a lot of things have actually changed. And I think for the better, honestly. Um, but a lot of changes started happening with the story. And then at the same time, I had two, uh, I had a new artist and a new UI artist get brought on. Because I, I still really hated the old UI of Sam. Uh, so I brought in two new people to work on that. So then at the same time, they were working on editing the UI. And then I brought um, a coder on to help me code it. Because while I'm also trying to manage... All the stupid legal stuff that comes with a business. Uh, I I can't be coding full time. So I had to bring someone else on to help with system structure. And also somebody who has more knowledge when it comes to entire systems than I do. Um, to like, you know, bounce ideas off of and make sure that I, that what he does and what I do are sound programmatic decisions. <laughs> So all at once, things started changing. The UI changed. The story changed. And in addition to the story, the gameplay itself changed, too. Because I had the realization that we can't keep the old gameplay that we had because you are you were effectively asking the player to just sit there and text message an AI and let the AI handle everything for them. And from a game design perspective, I sat there and I said, well, we completely removed any agency or any false agency that the player thinks they have right by doing this is instead sam is solving all the mystery sam is solving all the puzzles like the player is just talking to him so at the same time as that realization the whole gameplay loop started to change and what systems and mechanics we needed so all of this started changing at once 
<laughs> which <laughs> amplified the chaos tremendously. Like, Mazio, you can attest, there are, I think there have been a few times where I, I have been like, we have to wait to, like, solidify the game stuff, and, like, did you see the gameplay loop updates, and is this okay for, like, mission puzzle structure? <laughs> Most of the time you were like, I mean, I don't really need to know this, but, like, yeah. Or sometimes you were like, no, this is helpful, that's, that's good, but... I think what it comes down to is, you came into this project, you took over this project, thinking like somebody, like a code monkey, and you have moved on to thinking about it like a producer. And the next step is obviously where you're at, what you're talking about now, which is we need general creative meetings from time to time. Right. Because one of the things that does inhibit us a little bit is I could talk to Tet when I need to talk to Tet, but there are people on this project I don't actually think I've ever talked to. And are, like, not aware of me or my role in, like, anything other than the theoretical sense. Which, on one hand, is kind of okay. And on the other hand, is like, except for the part where, like, then this guy wandered in and asked a whole bunch of questions of me. And I was uncomfortable because I didn't know what I was answering. Right. But I, I think that that's part of the process that you're really describing here. Which is, you're going from... What was described in Masters of Doom, which is basically a bunch of creatives in a room working on a project, to a formalized structure, to a formalized team. Yeah. Right? Where it's like, yep, that person does this, and we have success with that person doing this, and we know that person will do this, this, and this, and if it's otherwise, something has probably gone wrong, and it's probably not, like, we probably need to go talk to that person, but it's not like, oh gosh, what are we ever going to do? Right. And I feel like that's and, a big growing pain for a lot of people. Yeah, it definitely has caused me tremendous stress. Which, as you, you are obviously aware of, because we we don't play games nearly as much as we used to, partially because nobody wants to touch Overwatch. It's not Overwatch. We play lots of other games. <laughs> we play other games, too, but I always like to mention no, Overwatch once in a while. I mean, podcast. I'm well aware of it because you come to me and you tell me this thing happened or, like, you're sorry about this yeah. or, like, that happened. I'm like, yeah, that's obviously what was always going to happen there. And I remember yeah. there was this really, like, hard day where I was like, I have to tell her this or it's not fair. And I kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, sat you down, but I was like, so listen... You seem to be working under the illusion that Game 2 will run smoothly, and it won't. Game 4 might. Game <laughs> 5 will. Right. <laughs> I just remember, you were in stunned silence. Like, just... So, just well, uh... so, what I said was is that, like, I have a plan for Game 2 to at least iron out the things that I found from Sam. But then I was like, but I want to talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So then we never talked about it because here we are on the podcast episode. Um, but I also like logically that makes sense to me. And I I think even when we did introductions like way back, like the first episode of this podcast, I think that and then we also had an episode about like creative and how brains work. Right. And I was very upfront that like my brain is a very <laughs> logical brain. And like I if I can understand why someone or why something has gone the way it has, then it will sit fine with me. 
it is when I cannot break somebody's actions down and understand why they are doing something or why this game has fallen to pieces. And like, I, if I don't get that answer, then it starts to really irritate me, which I think checks out. I think from, <laughs> from at least from past experiences where I have not been the nicest person, most of the time it is my brain struggling to be like, I do not understand why this person is this way. And because I do not understand it, I grow frustrated. Little tidbit about Amanda. But that also means that when you sat me down and said, like, these games won't work, my brain, like, paused for a minute, and then my brain was like, no, this makes sense, because I, from a coding perspective, I translated it into me trying to debug something, right? Because effectively what I'm doing in my brain is debug this pipeline that this team has. Typically, whenever you solve one or two errors, <laughs> more pop up that were not previously showing in console because they were blocked out by the other errors that you have fixed. So my brain went, no, what Matthew has just told me makes sense. It's because I'm going to take what I've learned from this first project, address as many issues as I can from the first project, and then move on to the second one. But the second one, even if I addressed those issues previously are going to have new issues pop up because it's a different project. I've implemented changes based on what happened in the first project, right? And also life. <laughs> you know, life just happens sometimes. <laughs> Some things happen. So when you said, when you like put it that way, I was like, no, like that makes sense. But I do have a more solid <laughs> plan for game two. Oh, this isn't a commentary on your ability to plan. No, I... This is just... I, this is just me having been there and had friends that were novelists and students that were novelists or what have you and watching them truck out there and go, this is going to be great and nothing will go wrong. <laughs> and then like five minutes later, what did I do? What did I do? And it's like you didn't do anything. It's that you executed a very complex process for the second time ever. And lo and behold, it didn't work perfectly. Like... No, right. no one is surprised that this is throwing some errors, that, as you put it, that you weren't, you know, maybe totally ready for. Right. And again, because my brain can understand that, that makes like that makes sense, and that sits fine with me. Um, I do think, though, what I, given all the chaos that happened at Sam, looking back on it, here are some like big, I guess, pipeline changes. I think I would do differently for the second project. It's specifically with you because I'm talking with you here on the podcast. Are we talking about the visual novel thing or like? No, just in general, Sam a second project, okay. like a like a general pipeline I, to follow. I, it's so, just something I should know. That's all. Keep going. No, that's fair. I because this is my first time actually working with like someone who has written for games, which is I think something that also should be said on this podcast is that previously I had really only worked with people within my major, right? Who took game design and took most of the most of the same classes I did. I took some extra ones and they took some extra ones, right? Um so you were my first really like external contact and but you were like an easy you were like an easy level one, so to say. Ow. You were like well because no, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I mean that in a you at least have knowledge of what games are and how they work from an outsider perspective. Yeah, games make so the poopity bops, right? <laughs> Beep boop. <laughs> so it wasn't like I walked up to someone who has only ever written like 
I don't know. I would never do this, by the way. But <laughs> novels and was like, write me a game. And like, they would, I like, it would not have worked. It just would not have. <laughs> They've never read any article or book upon the concept of, an, of a video game narrative structure. And the <laughs> concept is they're going to write a novel into a game like it's 2001. Yep, it, like it would have never worked. So you at least had knowledge of games prior, which is why I say you were an easy, an easy level for me. It was still difficult, but it was it was easier than it could have been. Like I didn't go to somebody who I didn't know who didn't have game experience. Right, that's what I meant by that comment. Now I lost my train of thought because I got distracted on the easy <laughs> on the easy comment. Because you called Morgan. me easy. I was, well, you know, my brain, all right, I said it, and then I was, <laughs> it took me a minute, and then you said, ow, and then my brain was like, he took that in a bad way, and I was like, no, he didn't, reverse, backpedal, <laughs> no, he didn't, he's fucking with you, like he does every I know, time, I know, I know, but I, you, you took it as a, man, he's easy, and I was like, I didn't. So anyway, oh my gosh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> anyway, Project Do. <laughs> uh huh. I'm sorry for everyone who has to listen to my fast paced rambling. That I accidentally just <laughs> exposed a man who's rampant insecurities. I look, I. I don't give two shits about people I don't know think about me. But my friends, I'm like, I really hope I don't accidentally, like, hurt them in some way, shape, or form. Anyone who's not my friend, I'm like, I don't care. I could stab them in a ditch, and they could bleed out and die, and I would walk away. I wouldn't actually do that for anybody listening to this. I'm not a murderer. Again. But, yeah. Anyway. Back on topic. Project 2. Specifically with, <laughs> with you as a writer. Let's say... This is a brand new project. I think what I would want is to have the core, I guess, hook of the game solidified. So, like, what is unique about this game? What is the core mechanic of it going to happen? Solidify that with the team first. Make sure we have a, a good idea that says, this was fun. Maybe we did it in a game jam or whatever. And we would really like to expand it into a full game. I think then what I would do is I would approach you and I would say, we have this cool mechanic. Can you write me like a pitch, any world genre story, whatever that this core mechanic could fit into? And then you would write me whatever pitch you have if you wanted to continue to work with me. I would write you two pitches. Because I always sure. write two yep. pitches. One is always hentai and the other <laughs> is always not hentai. This is why we need the secondary company. Anyway. I can't wait for these podcasts to be used as evidence in a court of law. Keep going. But <laughs> then I would I would come ask you and I would ask you for that pitch. Uh-huh. And we would talk and we would work out like some story idea or pitch. The pitch that I like most, right? We would pick that one. I would go back to the team and I would say, Mazzy has given us this pitch. From this pitch, we can probably deduce like theming or whatever, you know? And even if you need after the pitch more time to do like, here's the general theme, world, whatever that I'm going with, so that we can start getting a style idea in mind. Mm -hmm. After we get that pitch done, you give us those genre themes, whatever, I can then turn to the 
game designer, right, or the UI people, I mean, say, all right, we have this mechanic that we think is really fun. This is going to be our hook. We now have a general idea of a story and a world to work with. What other game mechanics can we do? And, you know, what else? How do we see these things fitting together? And then we would work out the core gameplay loop, right? We would start the GDDE. We would flush that out. We would do some, in Sam's case, like the mission structures and all that jazz. And we would iron that all out as much as we can because things change rapidly in game production. And then I would take that to you. And I would say, we really liked pitch, whatever. Here's what we're thinking for gameplay loop wise. Here's what we're thinking for, say, mission structure or level structure. We're going to have this many levels on it. And I need you to write the story to fit this many levels. With some additional dialogue that NPCs or whatever can sh- shout out. Or some helpful tips, right? And I would, I would lay that all out for you. Which is <laughs> already better than what I have previously done in Sam. But I would, I would have all that information solidified instead of constantly changing, which is what happened in Sam. And I would give that to you. And then we would, I think I would work with you more to plan. Let's plan our deadlines in advance and talk about what we want out of each deadline then and there. Yeah. Instead of like you and I messaging out and being like, crap, we didn't talk about this. And you'd be like, Amanda, we need to talk. And we'd be like, we do need to talk. And we plan that all out then and there. While you go off and you start your writing, I at least have the core gameplay loop roughly ironed out. Because again, things change. And the theming and a base idea of the story because I had your pitch, right? Which means that we could start doing first pass at assets for UI, for 3D modeling, uh, for a variety of things, for world building, what have you, uh, and system structure for code, because we have all those together. Then, once you would come back with, like, a first rough draft, I could read through it, and we could highlight some things to say, do you need any additional assets? Do you need, like, key hero assets from it? Have you ironed out the world more? Like, what do you envision when you're writing the story, the world to look like? So then we could start editing and revising those assets based off of like the first draft and as many drafts that come after it that we have. In that way, it isn't me trying to change gameplay and everything at once. The change factor is based off of whatever you are writing at the time. And everyone has like one core idea to start with, which would be the pitch, right? Right. Which I think would help things run more smoothly. Now, now I, I know things go wrong <laughs> and things change in game design because... All of this could go to absolute shit after you do your first play test. You do your first, you go out to get feedback from users and users come back and say, I really don't like this or this or that. And then we may have to say, all right, we need to like take inventory and change what we can. But I think at least that is a better start for like project unnamed two or whatever than what happened on Sam. Thoughts? I agree with it. So coming at it from the board game side, this is a very you talk, I talk episode. Coming at it from the board game side, when I look at it, the chief problem is, not just with Sam, but video games in general, when you hear process stories, there's no synergy be- between individual components, right? Like, this person did this, and that person did that, and then they, like, reconciled it, and that's why that choice doesn't feel quite right all the time. And you, coming at it from the board game production side, you know, what what we actually end up doing... Uh, and now, granted, we're, like, effectively, like, uh, what I would say, like, 2.5 of us at this point working on games. Like, 2.5 people. So, right. what actually happens is, I come in with the mechanics and the story done, and the, like, the, the premise of the story done, and then the artist and I sit down, 
and we futz around with it for a while until we hammer out what we think this stuff ought to look like and how this stuff ought to go and like what names have I assigned to certain things. And then the artist kind of like it like she'll actually sketch while we're doing this sometimes, or she'll send me sketches a couple of days later, and we'll like modify like the names and things like that. And there's this kind of like general creative meeting, and then I go off and run playtests, and she goes off and draws. Right. And she's asset creating, and I'm playtesting. We don't talk that much during that time period, like not near like in the initial phase of it. She and I'll talk like maybe two or three times a week but we'll see each other every single week for a few hours and then we'll go like months where like yeah like we check in like every couple of weeks or something because stuff like life happens or whatever but that that's how it goes mm-hmm. so i agree i think that the plan you have is better i think the problem with video games is the board game process i'm describing is very intimate right because there's not a lot of people that need to be involved to do it Right. right. If you're willing to shoulder shit tons of the work on on a very small level, it's fine. But also, nobody has to code it. <laughs> like, the, right. you don't you don't need any sound assets in a game, right? Like, you're not out there shot like farming music or whatever off of off of websites or composers. Right. So I think that, that it's it makes sense in the expanded format that like this is how it will go. I think the key thing for you is to understand that the the role shift you're going through right now in that planning phase means that, like, you and I are going to talk every other day for, like, a month. Uh, Yeah. But it's not just you and I. It's, like, you're going to talk to me every other day. You're going to talk to Tet every other day. You're going to talk to the programmers every other day. Like, like, now, some of those people, they they do the, the workday system that you have set up, so maybe you're not talking to them every other day. But, like, if you don't talk to me every other day in initial planning, when I'm doing the world building and everything, as opposed to augmenting and shifting a world build that already exists... Right. You're going to come back to wild changes that won't show evolutionary path. Right. Right? Because it's going to be, I swapped this for this. So, like, for example... The- I left the room, and you were making pizza, and I came back, and there's, I don't know, a fish sandwich, and I'm like, what the... How the fuck did we go from pizza to a fish sandwich? And you're like, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, like, next to the fish sandwich is a side <laughs> of pad thai, and you're like, is this... <laughs> like, what's- what flavor profiles in the sandwich? It's just mayonnaise, fish, and bread. <laughs> but then why is there pad thai? I like... Pad Thai, Amanda. I think I'm most like, people will oh, find <laughs> the peanuts and the beef tongue I put into the Pad Thai attractive with the fish sandwich. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, we've just completely given up on the pizza idea. Yes. What pizza okay. idea? <laughs> like, no, I mean... That's what I imagined this happening. So, like... I want to give I want to give a story about this. So we're working on game two, and I'm I'm board lay I'm doing board layouts for game two, and I come up with this layout, and there's three people in the room. This is me, the artist, and then the like the official point five, which is you know my fiance and her long term living boyfriend. Uh huh. Those are relative terms. Right. Not the fiance part. I'm making fun of Chris. Is what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> that joke was for just you, Chris. So. I put the first board down, and I have three people staring at hieroglyphics, right? Like, you walked into a cave, and there was drawing on the wall, and you were like, I don't understand. And I, like, try to explain it. And, like, I'm getting further away from comprehension, right? Right. So I take another Google Draw, because that's the medium that we use as a company. (laughs) You know what? It sounds ridiculous, but it solves all your problems. 
<laughs> it works. It works. Well, because it's one of those things where, like, my lack of artistic training, like fine arts training, doesn't hinder. And it's visual enough that the visual arts people in the room can look at it and envision an upgraded version that's done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And we went through, in probably 30 to 45 minutes, like three or four board iterations and finalized it. And the final board does not look like the Mark I. Like, at all. Now, I can... In my head, it's all the same. Because from my writing brain perspective, I just expressed this idea using effectively different structures until I hit upon one that resonated, right? But it was literally, like, it went from a whole bunch of different modular cardboard pieces to a traditional game board with a static design on it in 45 minutes. Pizza to fish sandwich, these two (laughs) games aren't the same game. Like, they're the exact same game. No mechanics have changed, no components have changed, nothing changed except the board. I think when when I hear that story, I think about Sam has gone through a lot of UI changes, yes, which I don't has. know if you've actually been looking no, at I, the UI. No, I lurked through all that stuff, but I feel so I I don't feel qualified to comment on it because I'm partially colorblind and I don't have fine arts training, and it's one of those like it's your ship, not mine moments where it's like right. I don't have to give feedback on this unless Amanda makes me. <laughs> well, so recently the screens we've been struggling with the most are the mission brief screen and the debrief, which means when a person clicks a mission, what information are we giving them at the beginning? And what information do we give them if they click on a completed mission to show like what they did, right? Right. Those two screens have just finally <laughs> been finalized. But they have been such a huge headache. And like if you look back at the original design for Sam and you look at what we have now, like to anyone outside of the team, they would be like, what the f*** happened? But, like, me, who's been privy to all those changes, and Mickey and Chai, who are the two UI artists, like, it, it makes sense. But to, like, everybody else, I feel like, who, like, knew Project Sam from way back when, were like, what the f*** happened? What are they doing? How did we get here? Um, yeah, no, because it's 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 night and day, right? It really is. But it isn't, I, it isn't at all night and day, because... You know, for all intents and purposes, you 100% knew what you were doing. Yeah, it was like, in in my mind, and I guess also like Mickey and Chai's mind, possibly, I don't want to speak for them, It like the screen shows the same information. It serves the same purpose in the game. We didn't change anything about the core of the game, but like how we presented it visually got like destroyed and rebuilt. <laughs> and so it, to somebody who's not privy to such things it, it looks like a completely new screen for a different purpose kind of i mean think about think about sam right from the writing perspective on this because we don't have oh, any yeah. of the ui visuals to show people on this um right but think about it from the writing perspective of we had our first writers meeting and i was like i want to fundamentally change the plot yeah and you were and like the whole room went the whole i felt the room go cold where everyone was like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? And I'm like, nothing. It's not going to affect you at all. I'm going to write around what you've done and what you're doing. We don't need to change your direction at all. I'm just not going to write this plot because I don't think this plot is as good as this plot, right? And by yeah. good, it's not actually qualitative. It's quantitative. Like, 
the plot I was handed is not long enough <laughs> <laughs> to give you the gameplay you asked for. <laughs> and and also we've we've had numerous conversations where you've come to me and you said, I'm gonna write this in and I think my response to you has been so long as we can pick up what you've written and plop it in any puzzle we choose as the game designers, then I don't give two shits. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what you do is that I was like, if you write it to be module enough that it can go to any of the puzzles that we ended up finalizing, because we didn't finalize what activities the player were gonna, players were going to do until we got feedback from our server to see what people were interested in, because I wanted to gauge interest. So I, while you, I didn't want to stop you from writing it entirely, so it was just a please write it modularly so I can just pick it up and be like, boop, you are now in a checks notes maze activity instead of a cipher activity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but that, that was something that we talked about. I, I vividly remember. And that, I think, for also people looking at it, it'd be like, well, the game changed entirely. But from your perspective, you're like, it really didn't. No, the game didn't change at all from where I was sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were like, well, it's the, like, you're... Your story didn't change at all. It was just how me and the UX designer looked at it and was like, this flows better from a user experience and a gameplay-wise, so that's how we're going to portray it to the player. Yeah, and I think, too, there there's a significant quantity um, in this of... You You have learned so much between even January when I really... I guess I came on board in mid to late January, right? I Time is an enigma. I forgot 2020 happened. <laughs> I'm... It's very, very weird because when we went into quarantine and when we came out of quarantine, it just feels like they're just what, like that whole year just didn't exist. It didn't exist. Like, <laughs> like, there's whole elements of my life that happened digitally that there's no physical evidence of. Yeah. And, and like, chief among them is honestly Magic the Gathering, where I'm sitting here going, like, oh, yeah, I guess that didn't happen. And I guess it kind of doesn't matter that it didn't happen. Right. But, like, it probably should. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Quarantine is really f***ed with mentalities and, like, what happened in 2020. Like, somebody that I follow on Twitter posted, and they were like, I keep looking at announcements for movie releases that says 2021 and think, oh, that's next year. And then you like, glance down at the calendar and realize, oh, shit, it's next month that this movie releases. Well, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but it's like, if you're talking about things like movie releases, I have now become accustomed to paying you a super premium, right? To yeah. to preview to watch the movie at home. To right. to that end, like man, I watched Willy's Wonderland with Nick Cage, the Five Nights at Freddy movie, by the way, last night. Excellent, totally oh, yeah. worth it. It's exactly what you wanted to be in terms of ludicrous. And Nick Cage, <laughs> no dialogue. What? Not a word. <laughs> and like, you know what the worst part is? You're only aware of it. Because people keep commenting on it in the movie. Otherwise, it would make sense, because you know it's based on Five Nights at Freddy's, that Nick Cage just doesn't do this. And, right. Like, he doesn't talk, because the character he plays from the game doesn't speak. Right. But it 100%, 100% worth it, in my opinion. Noted. I mean, I want to see nobody really bad, but... I'm going to give you the same $20 to watch it at my house on preview, basically, off of, like, YouTube or whatever, as I would pay you $30 to go to the movies for. 
And I don't have to set up a time. And I don't have to, like, convince Nicole to take the time to go see the movie. I can just look at her probably when you and I are done here and be like, you want to watch that Bob Odenkirk movie? And, like, we're just off to the... Here's your 20 bucks and we're off to the races. Like, I don't right. really want that to go away. Like, I don't... I'm happy to watch Godzilla vs. Kong in my living room. I'm going to get HBO for the summer and watch all the movies that would go to the theater on my on my screen because it's so much less a COVID risk to do it, but it's also become the norm. Yeah, man. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh. <laughs> oh, you said when were, when were you brought on board? Oh. You said January, and I was like, I have no <laughs> I think I was on board in January. I think I was yeah, on board and you were in talking January. How, how much I have apparently learned No, you, from you've January. come a long way because you did not... I remember the first couple of meetings, I was like basically teaching you how to talk to a writer in case you were ended up working with people that weren't me. Right. Because you did, yeah. Like we had a lot of meetings where I'm like, you can't tell a writer that. I know what yeah. you mean, but that I only know what you mean because I know a lot about how games are made. If you said that right. to another writer, they would just be lost. Right. They'd give you like a stage play because <laughs> they, you know, or something weird. Like you'd end up with something weird. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's it's just one of those like, yeah, like this is a big deal. And it took a long time to get this far. And it's important that we're here now. Is that, am I making sense? I hope I'm making some sense. I would like to say that I'm proud of myself and my team. <laughs> I think you deserve to be proud of yourself and your team. Except for Wiggles. <laughs> you should never feel proud of Wiggles. Wiggles has done some good stuff. But Wiggles also didn't add his hours to the heckin' plan like a good duck. So I had to guesstimate. <laughs> I'm going to do you a favor and never put hours for writing into the hack and plan. You you don't have to do that since uh since you unless you become an employee and then I'd be like, Mazio. That's fine. Mazio. That's fine. <laughs> but I think you would be like, how have you done? Why is there so much? Because I'm like, because I'm working out all of the plot. Plus, like when we wrote your contract, it was like per word. So yeah. I'm like, I don't, you do whatever you want hour wise. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's fine. You do whatever you want. Everybody else, I'm like, if I'm going to take evil quacks and get external contracts, not every external contract we get is going to need a writer, but all external contracts we get are going to need a UI person, a UX person, and a coder. Well, I, so I, I need I need to know how many hours roughly you spend on this stuff so that when they come to me with a price, I have some metrics to be like, what can we do for this price? I think, I think too, there is this... Um really bizarre thing where you and I, because neither one of us are business majors, learned a lot about structuring a business in the last two years. Yes. Or I, I, I guess done... since, I guess it's been three, since like 18 for me. But like the actual, uh, honest to God, infrastructure of a business, how is it set up, explain the difference between LLC and S-Corp. And I'm like, I didn't know any of that shit in 2017, and I know all of it by heart now. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know if done... I do that. I have done so much Googling. <laughs> well. I've listened to so many people on YouTube who are like, here's my business major. And here's some things that like people ask me in the comments that I'm now going to talk about. And I'm like, bless your soul. Yeah, really? <laughs> like, bl Bless you because I don't want to pay thousands more dollars to go to get an MBA. No, I don't think that would help um, either. I don't think an MBA will make a difference in either of our lives. I think if anything, yeah. I would want to talk to. 
I would want to go to a panel like PAX East in 2022, which I think we're actually going to get to go to. Um, I think yeah, we're going to get to like Unplugged it. too. By the way, I think that's. Gonna I know. Happen. I'm. I I really hope we do because I I miss Unplugged and I also miss you guys. Yeah. So. Well, I it's it's actually. I'm not going to say that on the air. I'll save that for later. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to get sappy on the air. Um, I would love to. I would love to sit in a panel for a business that makes between ten and a half a million dollars a year, right? Mm-hmm. And have them explain to me what happened the day they the day the money turned on. Uh, also, just for anybody listening, that's not a lot of money in business. It's not a lot of money, but here's the thing: it's not a lot. I just want. I just want. I feel like some of our listeners would be like, "Damn, that's a big company," and I'm going to be like, "It's not. It's not. No, it's not but a lot of money." If you're listening for the listeners, that is the difference between the IRS does not give a shit what you do (laughs) to you are going to go to jail if your paperwork is wrong that that is like like you have to understand in business terms what i said is you've gone from making nothing to making a pittance like take a penny leave a penny no one would notice this pittance but that is the sincere difference between the irs never looking at your paperwork and you possibly being audited and going to tax court, which basically means jail. Yep. Because you never hear a story about, <laughs> I went to tax court and it was fine. All the stories are like, I went to tax court and now I'm dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's accurate. Uh, and yeah, I agree. Like, I, I thought about going back for my MBA and I'm like, I just don't think, I don't think it's worth it. I think what I really need to do is I need to sit down with someone who has experience and talk one on one. And another, and then another thing I have is that like game studios operate on a different level <laughs> than like traditional businesses that have like a storefront. No, right? I, I don't think you need to sit down and just talk to somebody. I the what I just <laughs> the thing would has to be exactly where I described it, where it's yeah. like I went from making zero to making a hundred thousand dollars in net revenue a year. And this is what that five months of your life is like. Yeah. Right? Because right now, it's easy. It's people you know. It's people you're close to. Like, you and I don't talk as much as we used to at the moment. But, like, we're still close and I still love you and it's totally fine. Versus, like, I don't know, eight weeks from now where, or, you know, a year or two from now where you're like, and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, your whole world goes sideways, and you're like, so now that we make half a million dollars a year, we're going to find out who is actually calm and understood the situation as a whole, and the people that are about to lose their damn minds. Yeah, and honestly, that's why, um, for those listening, Evil Quacks also does Twitch, Uh, because I have our community manager, who's a wonderful guy, Brian, who streams. Uh. To also build like the brand name of Eva Quacks and promote stuff that we do, right? But also, <laughs> you get ad revenue from Twitch past a certain point, and we hit that point, which means immediately my brain was like, "Oh no, Twitch owned by Amazon now has like our tax records for like our employee ID, and the money they pay us are is on the books. Well, at least obviously legally it has to be, right?" And so my brain is like, if I am going to pay Brian for his streaming, I need to do it 100% legally. And then my brain was like, we're not going to do that with Google Sheets, Amanda. We're going to get an HR software that runs payroll 
and handles all of the legal documents for you. And I was like, yep, yes, we are. We're going to do that right now. <laughs> oh. Uh, so I think that like that moment happened for me early on because of Twitch and because my brain had that realization of my income is now on the books for the company because they have the employee identification number. It's not to me, it's to the company. So I had to like <laughs> very quickly realize that things need to be 100% legal. Not that that not that I was doing anything illegal prior to this because I kept <laughs> nice <receipts>. cover, wink. <laughs> No, because I I have kept receipts and documentation of everything that I have paid for with company money and then anything that the company needs to reimburse me for is sitting in like as invoices documented religiously on our PayPal which is hooked up to our employee identification number, sitting waiting to be paid out. So I, I did keep record of everything. Um, and then I also filed like taxes this year that said like I started up a business and here's my starting cost. And I had to send like a bunch of receipts to TurboTax and TurboTax is like, yeah, this all checks out. I was like, thank God. <laughs> but, um, so close to jail on that. I mean. <laughs> oh, damn. No. Well, I, I. I had this talk with who did I have this talk with? I had this talk with Shy, who's our who's my UI artist, who wanted to open up, who wanted to go into freelancing, and I quickly I told her I was like, just so you know, if you want to do professional freelancing, you do have to do it legally, and she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, you need to register your freelancing business. And she was like, what? And I was like, yes, and any income you get on the side has to be taxed. And she was like, oh. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so like, she's now going through the process of setting up like her own quote unquote company, which is just her to do freelancing under, right? Right. To make sure that everything is like legally by the books. But like I, while I was talking to her, I was like, it, I'm sure it doesn't seem complicated to people who've actually studied business. But as someone who's not studied business, it feels so hard to just not do anything wrong. Like, I'm sitting here, and I legitimately don't want to do anything illegal, but finding out what is legal and how to do things correctly is obscured by either terminology that I have to spend hours Googling to figure it out, st differing state laws, or it used to be this, but then it changed to this, and now it's that instead because we made an amendment there. And I'm sitting here like... I like almost on the verge of tears. Like I just don't want to do anything illegal, and you make it so hard. I'm just trying to, to stay out of jail. Out and why right. are you making it so difficult for me to stay out of jail? <laughs> why are you making it so difficult for me to just do this the right way? Like I have no desire to commit tax fraud because the, I have... the laws aren't written for people that want to obey them. The laws are written for the people that don't. Yeah, and so like. I occasionally have moments where I like to consider myself an innocent individual. I say with a slight chuckle. Where, like, I'm reading through these, and I was like, who would do this? And my brain's like, a lot of people, Amanda. That's why there's a fucking law about it. <laughs> because somebody decided to try and write off their entire house under their business and not use the house for business purposes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right. Just because I wouldn't do it doesn't mean that like somebody else hadn't done it in the past, and that's why these laws are so fucking confusing. I mean, it's a hundred percent how that happened, right? Like it is. <laughs> uh, 
people kept telling me like why don't you write off your new chair as like business or uh like work from home expenses and i'm like because it was a gaming chair that was 300 something dollars and i feel like if someone looked at it they would be like why the f- did you get specifically this very expensive <laughs> chair <laughs> if you needed a new chair instead of like a normal chair <laughs> and i i was sitting there like nope it's not worth it i'm not risking it nope it's not happening i bought the chair with my own money it is my chair <laughs> Well, for my own personal reasons. And you end up in this weird spot too, right? Where like friends of mine are like, f- like, so you and I, I guess we'll just share this with the world. Why not? You and I just um, had a whole conversation like two weeks ago around you and I setting up an LLC and me using certain quacks resources and right. like the split ownership of a subsidiary corporation. And I had to look up the differences. <laughs> Parent holding companies and subsidiaries and what happens and what do I have to do tax related? I was like, oh, Lord. Right. And like, why? Well, because the conversation started with I have to I had to set up an S corp for it because I needed to be able to to like do certain things for my own tax purposes. and, And it was like, well, if we're using Quack's resources and we're doing things under a secondary name because we're going to get a little aggressive with some of this. Is it better to, is it honestly better to set up the corporation this way? And, like, there was substantial Googling on both sides of that call, right? Like, I Googled a lot before I came in, and I had spoken to some friends of mine that are MBAs and do do kind of high-value business things comparatively. Right. And then you have to have this conversation with somebody who thinks your business is kind of a joke and be like, yes, but you have to understand that if one of these things hits... Right. And we end up selling the IP to some other company for... Our books have to be in order. (laughs) For half a billion dollars, which happens a lot. Like, not a lot, a lot. It's not guaranteed, but it does happen. Right. And then your buddy goes, well, what's the max value that something like this? And you're like, you looked it up like three days ago. It's like four billion. And they're like, somebody bought something akin to what you're describing for four billion dollars. And you're like, yes. And, like, what did they do with it? You, like, explain how, like, the industries around this work. So... And their heads explode. And they're like... And I'm like, so what... And they kind of, like, look at you and you're like, I'm future-proofing against going to jail forever. Jail. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally trying to do the right thing. <laughs> right. Uh, I will... Uh, to them, they're like, the margins are so <laughs> low, no one will ever care. Just fucking rubber stamp it. And you're like, right, until I write the one plot line that gets fucking sued. Uh, on that note, though, on the whole idea that people are like, I can't believe blah, blah, blah sold for like whatever, like the moment of disbelief, right? Yeah. It, it is really hard to talk to somebody like going through and setting up the company that I have, Evil Quacks, right? And like it was it's was very confusing and difficult for like the people who had to like notarize the company name, right? And all the late the legal stuff, like the state documentation, the IRS, the employee identification, like all that jazz, right? Yeah. They would look at me and they'd be like, "So what does your company do?" Because from the drop-down menu, there was nothing to select that fit what I wanted it to do. And I'd sit there and I'd be like, "Well, I plan on making games from the company and also taking on contracts for software applications for like games mobile apps whatever right and then they look at you like right and you're like do people not realize how much money is in games no 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 like they still they still treat it like oh it's just a game and i'm like you know the game that you're playing cost like 
billions of dollars to make. No, there's no there's no comprehension oh. that like this stuff is being governed by effectively like a couple of agents and a bunch of artists for the mm-hmm. most part, at least like on our scales, right? And the upper scales is different, but on our scales, I had to have a whole conversation where I'm like, you understand that like, you know, for those of us old enough to remember the Da Vinci Code phenomenon, like it was his fourth book. No one had given a crap really about him, and he made $6 million. And if a single line of that paperwork was out of position when it happened, nothing good would have occurred. Right. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? Oh. It's just... Good luck editing this, like, pile of shit into a podcast, by the way. I, You know what? I think we, we've had, we had a good conversation about Pipeline. And also now... What what we've learned about business stuff and realizing it's really hard to find people that you don't like. If I reach out to somebody, because I don't know many MBAs. Right. If I reach out to someone I don't know and say, I, I literally have a light business plan written up and hand it to them. They'd be like, a lot of times they'd be like, you're like, you're going to make games. And it's so hard to get them to take you seriously. And you, I have to sit there and explain to them and be like, Yes, because in the mobile app market, you could possibly make right amount of money, and my books need to be in order, and I need to make sure everything's legal. And no, I'm not just playing with quarters, okay? (laughs) I need to make sure that if anything hits, and you wake up the next morning, and your app is trending on the app store, (laughs) and you suddenly have a million (laughs) dollars, then things are in order, okay? Because I don't want to go to jail. Well, it's not even that. It's the, like, you know, you, you talk to this, you hear the stories from people where they're like, and then my book was on the bestseller list, and I went to bed and didn't get out for two weeks because the stress of having a book hit the bestseller list or this happened or that happened is so insanely overwhelming that, you know, I basically shit in my pants and went and, like, tipped over. <laughs> yeah. Imagine I, we've talked about Among Us and the boom Among Us went through. Like, imagine that team. All right, this game is done. We're packing it up. Closing shop. Woke up, like, the next morning to, like, <laughs> a million downloads. And they're like, what the f*** is happening? And then the downloads just kept climbing. <laughs> like, well, and, how do you handle that? And, like, and you like, can tell from, like, their communications, right, that there were, like, a lot of meetings around whether or not a sequel was viable or they should just put up a map. Should they offer more DLC? Like, they had no plan in place to capitalize on it because the game was, like, two or three years old and dead. Right. And all of a sudden, you're in a position where you're... If you if you make the next move wrong, your, your career's over and people will hate you. And if you make the next move right, you'll be rich? Right. Like, <laughs> it, oh, and, that's mean. And I have to say, I think similar situations can occur in different industries but i think the mobile app market and like the game industry is so chaotic or like user driven i guess i want to say is that like one streamer who is like who's it does well could pick up your game and play it out of the blue just for funsies you know just for whatever reason right it was on sale on steam okay and then suddenly that person and thousands of other people now know your game and if the streamer liked it the streamer tells his streamer friends and they reach their audiences, which are thousands of users. And those thousands of users tell other people. And all of this can happen while that person is streaming overnight. 
Like people, you, like, yeah, and you could wake up. You could wake up the next game day to a game that you have stopped production on, like five. It's five years old, and suddenly have people demanding new content for it and having an influx of cash from it, and you just are completely blindsided by it. Because I feel like in other industries, at least like when a movie comes out that's based on a book, the author has some notice to be like, we're making a movie off your book, right? Sales will probably go up a little bit because your book will be in the spotlight because we'll say based on a novel. by And then if if people see the movie and they like the movie, it may go up a bit. So you have like some foresight there. We have a lot of foresight because the deal for that went through years, like years before the announcement came out, like... You right. you knew and everything was fine and you had time to adjust. Does not happen with games. And it's such a different situation to handle. It's so much more stressful. But I mean that's why we chose be blindsided by it. I just want to comment too, but that's why we play the that's why like from the creative side, that's why we do this. Right? Oh yeah. Is that like you do it for the thrill of this activity where like you could do a thing, go to bed wake up, you know, go live your life for eight months, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're famous, and you have to, like, go do stuff. And now you have to learn how to talk to press people. Because <laughs> you suddenly have an email from Polygon. Yeah, you maybe like, let me... Shit! <laughs> in, this, in this relationship, you should let me do that. I'm never... I I had a realization in the car that I will never speak to the press. <laughs> I am so bad with words. Uh, I no, I'm like, I have media, in advance, I have media but training, I'm like, I'm you not... should let me go do this. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, it's not my wheelhouse, I'm not doing it, if this podcast has taught the listeners anything, it's that I'm very bad with words, and you guys only hear the edited portions. The words are confusing. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, uh, thank you, Ducklings, for listening, uh. Please, if you want to know more about what the team accomplished for the first milestone, you can go to evilquacks.com. Which we'll link in the description. Yeah. Slash updates, and you'll see my blog post as the most recent post where I break down like that financial stuff. I talk about what I did well and what I could improve on with Team Dynamic. Uh, And then also you have this podcast episode and i hope that if any of you are considering starting up your game or doing a project that this has somehow helped you gain some insight into the chaotic pipeline that is first projects and what i have learned from it and what mazio has learned throughout his years of experience that's right that I'm it helps old. you guys. <laughs> how old are you don't so answer so very near death <laughs> uh, but thank you guys so much for listening uh, and we'll talk to you in the next one quack quack <laughs> <laughs>